Hello, church. Good morning. So good to be with you all today. I want to start out with a simple story. In 2011, Harold Camping, a Christian American radio host, predicted the end of the world, that it will occur on May 21st, 2011, and five months later, the end of the world happened. He believed in this claim so much. Uh, this American host spent 100 million USD in total to sort of propagate this particular claim. So this is an example of his billboard. Uh, I, I find it really cute. The, the Bible guarantees it. This is like almost the seal of approval. Uh, and this was how his thinking process. He calculated that the Great Flood happened in 4990 BC. And what happens is in Genesis 7 uh, verse 11, it says, seven days from now, I will send rain on the earth. So he thought that was a prediction uh, for the end of the world. And coupled with that, he used a verse from 2 Peter, and it says in that particular verse, with the Lord, a day is as a thousand years, and the thousand years are as a day to a Lord. So you get seven days, essentially 7,000 years, and then he predicted that the end of the world will happen on May 21st, 2011. Uh, and clearly we know uh, he's wrong, and because we are here today. And we look at it, and we can think, you know, it's cute and funny, but you know, this is sort of a, it might be funny for now, but actually there's some bad repercussions of this. So a huge number of people actually believed in this claim. And so there were stories of people who worked and used their life savings to spend on this particular marketing claims. And so some of them stopped working, quit their jobs. Some of them stopped investing in their children's college funds. And some of them, uh, because the end of the world was coming, right, some of them actually made quote-unquote suicide packs. So uh, we have... Uh, from news, we have one verified claim that a 12-year-old girl, or a 14-year-old girl, committed suicide uh, because of this particular statement, believing that the world would end on 21st May, she committed suicide because she was scared to face the judgment. And when it comes to the idea of the second coming of Christ, right, this is a really fraught topic because the way we approach the second coming of Christ strongly determines how we behave. And in this particular example, bad ideas have consequences. If we don't get the second coming of Christ right, we can perhaps be misled and led astray. And today, uh, I have been tasked to preach on the final series of Apostles' Creed on the second coming of Christ. Okay, but before we go there, let's read the Apostles' Creed together. One, two, three, go. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day, He rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the God of the Father Almighty. From there, He will come to judge the living and the dead. Next one. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let's pray. Father Lord, we thank you, God, for today. We pray, O oh God, as we discuss about the second coming of Christ. Father Lord, help me to say the words accurately, to not lead people astray, but to proclaim your word with truth. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Okay, so the second coming of Christ. For us today, we're going to look at this particular passage, Matthew 24, verse 25 which is known as the Olivet Discourse. 
So when you look at the book of Matthew, Matthew uh, structured his book into five distinct discourses that Jesus had. The most popular would be Matthew 5, Sermon on the Mount. That's the one we all know, and we talk about loving our enemies, okay? So the Olivet Discourse, happening on Mount Olive, is the final uh, conversation that Jesus had before he sort of went to the cross. And in this particular conversation, uh, the disciples approached him and asked Jesus, Jesus, what are the signs of your second coming? And what will be signs of the end of the age, okay? So I'm going to read you uh, Matthew 24, 3 to 8, which sort is the introduction. And today, because Matthew 24 to 25, it's quite a long passage. And because of that, I won't have time to cover all of it. But uh, as we go into the dialogue, I hope that you know you guys have some good questions. And my goal is to sort of remain faithful to the text as much as possible so that you guys can gain a better understanding. So I'm going to read Matthew 24. So Matthew 24, the intro part, serves like sort of an overall view of what Jesus is going to say. So uh, let me read. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be and when will be the signs of your coming and of the, and the, and of the end of the age? So the disciples approach him privately. So uh, from this particular passage, we glean that this is a private conversation. Uh, you don't have people apart outsiders in it. And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pangs. Okay? Then they will deliver you to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another, and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because loneliness will increase, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Okay? So this sort of serves as the introductory passage to what Jesus is going to expound. And you can sort of divide into three main points that I want to bring out today. Okay? First one is this. See that no one leads you astray. You know, right? I find it really interesting is this. When the disciples ask Jesus, Jesus, what are the signs that you're, you're going to come back? Jesus tells them the first thing. He doesn't tell you, oh, the stars, the sun, the moon. He sees that. He says, see that no one leads you astray. Jesus place prime importance that you guys should not be deceived. And in fact, if you read out the entire passage so on, right, Jesus mentioned this around three to four times, and he was really particular about this. And I'm just going to read, okay? And Jesus answered them, them, that see that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ. I find this really interesting. This is Jesus' beginning of the ministry. He's not a big deal yet. He's more probably popular only in Israel region. So he here sort of predicts that you know, 2,000 years from now, there's going to be many people that's going to come in his name and they will use his words. To a certain extent, right, you know, he knows that it's going to be a big deal, okay? So, uh, we continue, okay? Let's then, later on, he says again, and if there, if, then, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. You know, when we come to church, right, uh, I find, okay, I find this interesting. This is the only Bible passage or one of the few I know of. This Jesus tells you, do not believe anything you hear. Jesus is practicing, telling disciples, you've got to be skeptical. And I think that's interesting. So, and false prophet will arrive and even perform great signs and wonders, so to lead astray. Again, you see that particular phrase. If possible, even the elect. See 
I have told you beforehand. You know, Jesus is warning you. You know, I told you guys already. Don't be fooled. So if they say to you, look, he is in the wilderness. Do not go out. Look, he is in the inner rooms. Do not believe it. It's like Jesus telling you, you know, the number one sign that he's fake is that he says he's Jesus. That's the number one sign. For as lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man, wherever the corpses, there the vouchers will be. You know, right? Let's talk about predictions and people who claim to be uh, the second coming. There's an entire Wikipedia list of people who claim to be Messiah. And it's an interesting article. It's like a list of fakes. And they, they come from the first century to the 20th century. And it's so fascinating to read about them. Uh, this is some of it. I want to introduce you guys to Siberian Jesus. Siberian Jesus. Uh, this guy is named Visarion. And he founded what is called the Church of the Last Testament. Uh, and he has a big following. In the year 2000, he has 10,000 followers in total. And uh, he has led 5,000 of them to go away and they stay in this village together. And he would disciple them and they would all just worship him. Uh, and there's actually a documentary about this, a Vice documentary, five years old, and it's him and people actually believe in him. And you got people from all the way from different parts of the land just come and visit him. Uh, and I just find it so hilarious that all of them, right, when they fake Jesus, right, they always use like the Western depiction of Jesus, like his long hair, you know, it's just, it's just funny to me, okay? Now, but let's say if that does not whet your appetite, I want to introduce you to our next contender, Australian Jesus, okay? Uh, this is Divine Truth. This guy, his name is AJ Miller, and he uh, claims to be Jesus. Uh, and if you see here, that is his partner, Mary Magdalene, okay? And you're under it asking, Joel, how does that work? I'm like, yeah, you know, I also have no idea how does that work, okay? So this is what he claims. He claims that after he died and come back, he was in the spirit realm for 1,900 years. And what happens is, after 1,900 years, he has reincarnated and come back uh, to tell his divine truth. Okay, hence his name, divine truth. Uh, and I mean, like, he has 10,000 subscribers, guys. It was so easy just to get subscribers. And not only that, his most popular video, uh, 100,000 views. Wow. Uh, and you know, this is the, this is, I think this is what Jesus was saying when he said, many people will lead you astray. Now, this is some more fringe examples. I'm going to give you something by which I think is a more mainstream example that happened sort of the prior generation. Okay? Uh, how many of you here heard of the Bible code? Raise your hand. Okay. So anyway, that, okay? So uh, this book was written in the 1990s by a guy named Michael Droskin. And his central thesis was this that inside the Bible, if you examine and rearrange the alphabets, you guys can get hidden truths within the Bible. So it's like, you know, in God's Word, there's even deeper God's Word, you know, that kind of thing, okay? And his method was really interesting. What happens is, you will go through the text and sort of uh, arrange all the alphabets, remove the spaces, and you get sort of a long string of uh, lines of text. And what happens is, he calls the ELS, ELS method, equidistant uh, letter spacing. So, if you space out the words accordingly, right, you guys can get like some really special messages from the Word of God. Wow, you know. And so, for example, in this particular case, you got Bible, B-I-B-L-E, code. And again, equi letter, equidistant letter spacing. Okay. Now, you guys might think, wow, that's crazy. And yes, it's crazy. But this was sort of mainstream. Or, oh, I won't say mainstream, but it was a big deal. 
So it was such a big deal that there were actually three books that he released. So this book, which warranted a sequel, which is called Bible Code 2, and then Bible Code 3. And I couldn't find the numbers, but Bible Code 2 sold a total of more than 300,000 copies in, in, in America. And, okay, first of all, I want to say this, okay? Uh, yes, it's funny, and I think it's funny, but it's, it's really misleading in the technique. Remember, they're only using Bible and mathematics here. If they, you know, if they have a major proponent, they say, you know, I'm just reading from the Bible. But obviously, they have such a radically wrong approach to the Bible that it just blows my mind. And I do data science, and here's what I learned. You know, given a large set of data, you can just take anything out and just, you know, space. You sure can put anything and get out, you know, any kind of phrase. Now, obviously, this is what they did. And some of the things they do, I mean, so this is really next level. I was like, wow, this is probably my favorite image of the internet right now. So here, in this particular passage, what they do is they try to get... They, they, they sort of do the entire analysis, and I want to kid you not, they, they have dedicated software, you know? They're so dedicated. You, you can buy the software, you can do your own analysis yourself. And what happens is, in through this particular analysis, they came out with the phrase, Obama the dictator, and they would just do everything. You know, as I look at this, right, my biggest concern, right, and especially for the next generation, is the propensity and the easiness for people to be led astray. And you know, we are hitting the year 2030, almost 2,000 years after Jesus come back. I'm going to tell you guys now, there's going to be one Reddit article, you know, they'll say, you know, Jesus is coming back again. Do not be led astray. You know, I always, I told the campus students yesterday, uh, you know, one day, I'm going to guarantee you, you know, we got fake Jesus on YouTube. One day, there's going to be a fake Jesus on TikTok and he's going to try to sell you all the Christ merch you can ever imagine, okay? But that's the nature of it that as time progresses, right, we're going to see shadier teachings and people who will proclaim, I am Christ. And they will do great signs and wonders. That's given. But what happens is Jesus says, clearly, see that I have told you beforehand. Do not be led astray. So that's the first part. Let's continue. So after Jesus saw or gave that introduction to not being led astray, he talks about the next part, the signs. And what we're going to go through now is sort of the main chunk that Jesus talked about the second coming and what is to come. And now, this is probably the hardest passage to interpret in all of the Gospels. And this is what scholars freely admit. I'm going to do my best, uh, but I want to run through with you briefly in terms of the things that what Jesus said. I want to do my best, and you guys, again, once again, more questions, save it at the end, then we can answer some questions right there. So, let's go. The great tribulation and the abomination of desolation. So, Jesus continues. So, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. So, the idea of the abomination of desolation. The abomination of desolation refers, uh, in the passage of Daniel, it was a prophetic word, that one day within the temple, that uh, there will be sort of an immoral thing inside the holy place. Now, uh, for today's uh, sermon, we're going to just assume that it has not happened yet, but there's a whole theological discussion about that. Nonetheless, we have an image of this sort of in 200 BC. So in 200 BC, uh, what happens was there was this emperor, and it's the emperor of the Seculidians, okay? So this emperor is named Epiphanes. And what happens is he, uh, evil, he hated the Jews. He despised the Jews. So what happens is if he invaded Jerusalem and just annihilated Jerusalem. And he made his personal goal to destroy the Jewish customs and the Jewish traditions. So he went to the temple of Jerusalem. I want to point this out, right? Okay? There's only one temple 
in, in Judaism, which is the temple of Jerusalem. Rest of it is synagogues. So this is the only one, okay? This, so this is a big deal. He goes into the temple and decides to erect an altar to Zeus. So remember, this is the temple of God. He decides to erect an altar for Zeus. Clearly pagan worship already. And then what happens is he sacrifices a pig on the altar dedicated to Zeus. And this is hugely offensive. This is like the most offensive. This, this, is, what, this is sort of like the precursor to abomination of desolation. And this is sort of the picture that I think Daniel was referring to when he spoke of uh, the abomination of desolation, okay? So let's continue. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house and let the one in the field not turn back to take his cloak. So Jesus paints a very clear picture that when this abomination of desolation happens, right, immediately, just get out. He says, do not even take the cloak, meaning the picture is, you, once you see it, you just run. The field, you don't take anything. You just, you just go back and you do not turn back, okay? So continue. And at last, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight may not be in winter or in, on a Sabbath, for then there will be a great tribulation such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now. No and will never will be. So after the abomination of desolation occurs, after running away, there is uh, the tribulation. And this refers to what scholars think is the persecution. And it'll be a great persecution, like such as the world has never seen. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. So you got the great, the abomination of desolation, follow up with the great tribulation. And then what happens is Jesus continues, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. So here's the thing. So just now we talk about fake messiahs, you know, we talk about how they will claim they are messiah. So this is the distinction that Jesus will do. Jesus, when he comes back, it's going to be a cosmic level event. It's going to be an event that the whole world will know and you don't need to, you don't need sort of to second guess it. Uh, the best thing I could think of is like, if let's say you're in your house and some guy knocks at your door, Joel, uh, an atomic bomb just exploded in front of your house. Quickly, come check it. You obviously know, you know, if it's an atomic bomb, it will, you, you, you won't be there anymore. Okay? So what happens is in the Bible, it clearly states that when Jesus comes back, it's going to be a cosmic level event and people will know. And we don't need to look out to the left, to the right. We don't need to believe in all those things because we will know. Okay, continue. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the man and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heavens to the other. So, three things that's going to happen. First, abomination of desolation. Second, great tribulation. A great tribulation that the world has never seen. And then, immediately after the tribulation, Jesus comes back. Okay. So, Jesus gives them the signs. And then he says something I thought really interesting. Nobody knows, but, so Jesus says, but, concerning the day and the hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. You know, when people claim that, you know, they, they know when Jesus is going to come back, <laughs> I think, you know, it's quite egoistic because they're saying they know more than Jesus clearly in this passage, okay? For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming 
of the Son of Man. So what happens is Jesus tells us the signs. But he says, right, even though guys, you know the signs, you will not see it coming. It's going to catch you by surprise. No one knows. Okay? And I think this really leads to what he continues on, which is our response to him. And you find that this, when Jesus talks about his second coming, he is less particular about you predicting what's going to happen and more concerned about our posture and our response to the second coming. And we will see that. So I'm going to continue with the, our response, okay? So he talks about uh, the rapture, okay? So then, two men will be in the field and one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and one left. Therefore, instruction to the disciples, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. So I find it really interesting that Jesus gives the signs, but his focus is that because you're not going to predict it, you need to be always be ready. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, so the second therefore, you also must be ready. The Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. So here, you see it twice. And you know, when Bible, when, it's rep, when, he, when Jesus repeats something, you know it's a big deal. And Jesus, uh, this is really clear instruction to his disciples. You need to be ready because you're not going to know when it's coming. And the best illustration I can sort of uh, think of is musical chairs. I do not know. How many of you know the game musical chairs? Okay. Uh, musical chairs is one of those youth group games where you think it's really mild, but actually it's kind of wild. So the game goes like this. Uh, there's a bunch of chairs placed in a circle, and what happens is everybody walks around it, and the music plays, da-da-da, then everybody what, 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 okay? So what happens is when the music stops, everybody is instructed to quickly find the chair. So they will try to grab a seat, and what happens is there'll be one person left over, okay? And so, right, when you play the game, right, there are a few ways you can play the game. First off is you can try to outsmart when they will stop the music. So what they do is, you know, they'll look at the person who's playing the Spotify music, and then they look at the, the Spotify person, oh, pretend to press, but actually not pressing, then you, then you sit wrongly. Or you can play the proper way, which is this. You, as you are walking around the chair, you are always ready. Anytime the music stops, you boom, you just, you just run for it. You grab it. And I think, funnily, that's probably the best kind of response that God was saying, that you always be ready, that you be always ready on God, that anytime... When the music stops, you're ready, and when it comes, it doesn't catch you. And I think this leads to a very big point. We are not called to predict the second coming. Jesus sort of, just say, don't give up, you won't know. But we are called to anticipate his return. And that's a big deal, I think, when it comes to approach to the second coming. Many times as Christians, right, and now with the internet, so... So, so, with so much information, you can find anything that supports a point of view uh, that Jesus is coming. Really, you can. It's so easy. You know, I was just, okay, I was just Googling and I got ads. I got ads, you know. Somebody paid ads to Google to tell me that the second coming is this particular day. I was like, wow, okay. But that's not our response. Our response is to anticipate in His return. To live as though that no matter tomorrow, one year from now, three years from now, Christ is going to come and I want to act that I'm ready today. So then, what happens is Jesus ends with sort of a parable and I want to bring it to a close. So there are actually five parables in total. The parable of the fig tree, the parable of uh, the faithful and wise servant, the parable of the ten virgins, the parable of the talents, and the parable of the sheep and goats. And each of these parables 
have a distinct quality to talk about being ready. And I think each of it is rich, but today we're going to focus on one of it, which I think we bring to an end. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his high soul to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so during when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if the wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eat and drink with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him. So you see this track, does not expect. And at an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And here, Jesus paints a picture of two servants. You got the faithful servant and you got the wicked servant. The faithful servant is pictured as somebody who's ready, who's always working. Whereas the wicked servant is pictured as somebody who, you know, oh, you know, God's not going to come back. He's going to come back 20 years from now. Who cares what I'm going to do today? You know, and that's kind of the picture. And the question that we have for us today is what kind of servant are you? Are we one that as our day-to-day lives as we live, are we faithful in the things that God has given us? Or are we the wicked servant? You know, oh, God's not coming back today. Nobody's going to see my work. Might as well just lazy, law. That, I think, is the, the question that we have to ask ourselves. And I want to end with this particular story of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. So, the, the year is 1943. And we know in Germany that Hitler came to power at that particular time. Okay? And so, here's... Uh, I think a dark fact about Christianity in Germany. So in actually in 1943, uh, Hitler would actually use the Protestant church as a form of political power to sort of support his Nazi. And so, uh, his Nazi ideology, okay? And so what happened? He, he set his goal to unite the entire Protestant church, and, which is called the Reich Church, R-E-I-C-H. And this is in uh, 1943, and it's the German Evangelical Church. And what happens is he set up a leader too that is a Protestant and that supported the Nazi ideology. And we know that. that that's incredibly offensive. And so what happened is Dietrich Bonhoeffer was one of the dissenting voice. In fact, he was the biggest opposition to this particular claim. He believed that the church uh, should not be under any political ideology, which is true. And so what happens is he starts an opposing church called the Confession Church. And the church was a sort of a response to this and it's sort of the last remaining block that Hitler could not like sort of get through because this church was standing against uh, his will. Okay? And I think Dietrich Bonhoeffer had an interesting story. So there was this particular moment when some of his friends from the Confession Church right, came to him. Okay? And when they came to him, right, uh, he, they asked uh, him, they told him this, okay? You know, Dietrich, Dietrich, you know, Hitler, they saw this is what they think. They think Hitler is the Antichrist. And now, so this is what they thought. And I tell you, I think there's no better candidate to be anti- the Antichrist other than Hitler. So this was what he, they genuinely believed. And they told Dietrich Bonhoeffer, you know, right, Hitler is the Antichrist. Meaning, right, that Jesus is going to return. And because Jesus is going to return, we should stop working. Because Jesus is going to return, meaning all our things is in vain. And this is what Dietrich Bonhoeffer responded, Okay. He said this, if Jesus returns tomorrow, then tomorrow I'll rest my labor. But today I have work to do. I must continue the struggle until it's finished. 
And Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he worked until the very end. At the end, he was captured, he was hung, and he was executed. And this is the paint picture of a faithful servant, really, I think. That, you know, even though they, were, they had good speculation and good reason to think that the end is coming. I mean, Hitler, Antichrist, probably best match there is in history. But he continued to work, and he worked until the very end. So the question that we all have for us today is, what kind of servant will you be? You know, as a personal reflection and a personal application to all of us, you know, all of us, right, we're always stuck in this particular uh, thing, that Christ returned, maybe, you know, it's a long way out. Maybe it's soon. And, you know, because we don't know, right, you know, oh, you know, nobody sees the work I do. Might as well, I just don't do it, lah. Nobody sees the one-to-one that I'm doing. Nobody sees the conversation I'm having with my what? Might as well just forget about it. But here, we see Jesus telling disciples, you know, be a faithful servant to be at work. You're not going to see it coming, but I just want you that you be ready that when I return, that you will be rewarded. I think that's the question for all of us today. As we go back to our daily lives, as we continue our life, and you know, there's a lot of things in life. What kind of servant will you be? Will you be the faithful servant or will you be the wicked servant? Church, let's pray. Father Lord, I thank God for today. I thank God for bringing us here all together as we discuss about the second coming of Christ. I pray, O Lord, that you, O God, will continue to lead us, O God, as we walk and conduct in our daily lives in a way that lives honouring and brings glory to you. Help us, Lord, to be A, not led astray, and B, to be ready, O God, that no matter when you come, we will be ready to honour and bring glory to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.